Well, hello, Dr. Church. My name is David, one of the guys on staff here. Um, for a little bit longer, anyway, uh, a truckload of us are moving to Ann Arbor, Michigan to plant church. Uh, we're here for a little while longer. We're having a go-away party just like the Japan team, so don't worry. You'll be here for that. But today, uh, I get to teach the Bible. So pull it out if you, if you have a Bible. Um, I'm actually using this little br blue uh, freebie guy that we give away kind of out here. So if you don't have a Bible, you can actually go out these doors to the left. You can grab one of these. Um, Silas, my three-year-old, decided that as I was preparing the sermon this morning, he would uh, grab my Bible and hide it. So it's somewhere in my house. I have no idea where it is. Uh, and hopefully he will at some point tell us where it is. This is a, not this, this is not like this, this week has actually been that for Silas. This is not like an intro for this sermon either. I'm just telling you about my life with my three-year-old. He keeps like taking things and hiding them in places and then immediately forgets where he's, he's hidden them. And so like the other day we're like looking, he's like taking all over the house. He's like, it's in here. Oh no, it's in here. And so anyway, I genuinely don't know if I ever will find my Bible again. Um, so anyway, this is, this is my Bible for the time being. But go to Genesis 32. We're in the middle of this uh, teaching series through Genesis, and we're kind of like in the middle of the story of the life of Jacob. And Jacob is the man who eventually will be renamed Israel. That's where kind of the whole uh, tribe of Israel kind of gets their name. This nation comes from this guy. And Genesis 32 is the chapter where Jacob is renamed Israel. He gets his name. Um, and so we're in the middle of the story of Jacob, but let me just catch you up. Uh, it's been a, been a couple weeks. Last week we did kind of this, this, this other thing. We kind of jumped out of the, the story for a little bit, but let's get back into the story of Jacob, and I'm just going to kind of catch you up on his life. Okay, Jacob has lived what you cannot get away from describing as a very interesting life, okay? <laughs> like a very interesting life, a very full life. Uh, his story started like in the womb, right, fighting with his brother with this kind of struggle, this wrestling of who is going to be first, right? Jacob loses that battle, right? His brother comes out first. He is kind of like the firstborn, and so it means he has kind of this, this birthright status, but Jacob is like literally comes out of the womb, clinging onto his brother's heel, like he's trying to pull his brother back into the womb so he can come out first, like kind of crazy story. That actually happened, and then the very kind of next scene you see in the Bible is he, Jacob does like that, uh, you know that paperclip game where you start with a paperclip and you're like, how can you trade this and see how like much you can get? Like eventually, like 20 years later, I got a house. Like Jacob did that with his brother, but he just went from A to Z, right? He was like, I'm going to show up at the edge of the wilderness with a bowl of soup and I'm going to trade this for the entire inheritance of my family, right? And so he literally makes this trade with his brother. Uh, pretty crazy story. Uh, then the next thing that happens in Jacob's life is he dresses up as a goat. Uh, he puts goat skin on himself, stands in front of his blind father, because now he has the birthright of his brother. He's kind of swindled that away, but now he wants the blessing as well. So he stands in front of his blind father on his kind of deathbed, and he basically pretends to be his brother so he can also get the blessing of his father. So now he has the birthright and the blessing, which is great. But now Jacob has this brother Esau who's like, okay, that's fine. Take the blessing. Uh, I now vow as soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill you. Okay, so now he has this brother who has basically vowed uh, to kill him in the end. And Jacob is forced to flee for his life. Eventually he goes to this new city in Haran. He kind of hangs out with his uncle Laban, falls in love with this beautiful girl, the deceiver becomes deceived and on his wedding night, right? He ends up marrying the wrong woman. Seven years later, he marries the right woman and he has two wives. 
Everything goes very well. There's no drama with that at all. Okay, that's a joke. Um, a lot of drama. And the dude does this weird thing with like sheep and goat breeding. Like, I don't know if you like, if you've ever read, like there's like chapters on this. Like he does this kind of crazy thing where he's like, I'm going to do this thing where I'm going to figure out how to basically like maximize my wealth in a very short amount of time. It's like an early version of Bitcoin or something. Dude hits a big. And the way that, the way, I'm invested. No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, I am, but, but you don't have to be. Anyway, uh, the way that Jacob gets rich, okay. The way he does this is basically by rigging this kind of like system so that he, his, like his herds like maximize and his father-in-laws diminish. And so he basically finds a way to kind of rig this system where he becomes wealthy at the expense of everyone around him. And because of his deceiving and conniving, even though he has this massive family now, this massive wealth, once again, Jacob is forced to kind of leave this place he calls home because of his own deceit, his own manipulation, his own poor choices and once again, he's kind of pushed away, and he's going back to his first home. So he's kind of going back towards Canaan, back towards his brother Esau, where he came from. And I don't know if you feel this way about Jacob, but the more time I spend with him, the more fascinated I am by him. Um, like I've, I've read Genesis a bunch, and I've never, I've always been like, yes, Jacob, totally, like, he's like, kind of like, you know, it's like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Jacob has these 12 sons, become the 12 tribes of Israel, and kind of like, I, I've thought about the story from kind of that more historical framework, but I've never really, like, just spent time looking at this guy's life in detail, and the more that I look at this man, the more I see myself in him. Because we know from the beginning of the story that we're told who Jacob is. Like before he's even born, the, the story of the Bible tells us that this is actually the child that God has promised to bless. He's quite literally like the chosen one. God's like, I choose Jacob. Before you're even born, this is the one I'm going to bless. My whole life, my whole lineage, like everything is going to come through him. I'm going to choose and bless him. And yet at every single part of his story... Jacob lives his life as though it is his actions, his cunning, even his manipulation and deceit and strength that he has to fight to get this blessing. And this pattern of his life has brought so much pain and suffering with it. And in Jacob's pursuit to try to like take hold of and grasp the blessing of God in his life, he's burned almost every relationship he's ever had. And so now he has two homes, right? both which he really can't go back to because of how he's lived there. And not only that, but this attempt to like manipulate and control and try to like take the blessing of God in his own way, this pattern in his life has actually been the very thing that's kept him from receiving the blessing that God's always been trying to give him. It's this kind of crazy story. And it's like there's this, this scene in Genesis 32 is basically this moment where this man who has been like wrestling with the world his whole life, fighting for blessing, he's going to find himself literally locked arm in arm with God in this like physical wrestle that's happening in the physical world, striving for the same kind of thing, I want you to bless me. And so let's just read this. We're, I'm going to read kind of most of the, the chapter and then we're going we're gonna to talk about it. So chapter 32 so this is right after he kind of like eventually cuts ties with Laban and kind of moves, moves on. And Genesis 32 says, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. 
So it's like, if you remember this story, right, when he's like, right after he like tricks Esau, he gets kicked out of his home, basically fleeing for his life, the very first thing that happens, right, is God meets him, right? This kind of Bethel moment, like, I am here, Jacob. I know your life is a train wreck. You're kind of hit rock bottom. I am here for you. My presence is following you. And now the same exact thing happens again, right? Once again, he's coming back and God just manifests his presence and says, Jacob, I'm here for you. I am for you. I'm here. And then verse 3 And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother-in-law, his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. So he's like going back, right, to this brother. He's like, hey, it's been like 20 years, a really, really long time. Like, I know I haven't seen each other for a while. Uh, last time we spoke, I stole uh, your, your birthright and your blessing. I uh, totally cheated you out of that. You promised you'd kill me. So I don't know what the relationship is like right now. So I'm going to kind of send this like nice, humble letter to you. Like, hey, my Lord, you know, like God, God's blessed me. I don't know. How is it going with you? Because I'm about to come back home. And this is what happened. Verse 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, yeah, we came to your brother Esau and he actually is coming to meet with you. Uh, Also, there's 400 men with him, okay? So like you get this letter, he's like, okay, like this is not going well. This dude, uh, Esau, by the way, he's in Seir, which is basically this land. It's not where he originally from, meaning like he has now become this like conquering warlord who's begun to conquer this area around him. So this is someone who is like experienced in war and uh, has vowed to kill me. And he's also coming to meet me with 400 men. Like, this is like a significant sized army in this day and age. Verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. <laughs> okay. I love when the Bible just puts it in one sentence. It's like, he was kind of freaked out, all right? And so this is what he did. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So I just, like, just so we know, we understand, like, where he's at, right? This is his game plan. He's like, I am actually so convinced that my brother is coming with an an army to destroy and defeat me. I'm going to take everything I have, and I'm going to split it in half, so that when he comes, if he does come and he, like, basically burns, like, my life to the ground, at least something of my life will survive, and so he literally just cuts his family, cuts everything in half, right? He's like, hey, here, you go here, you go here, and, and some of you maybe will escape from the consequences of my past. And then in verse 9, Jacob prays. And by the way, this is the very first moment in his story that we see him praying. We don't see this before. He has these moments with God, like God meets him at the Bethel. He has these kind of moments, but this is the very first time we actually see Jacob praying. And this is what he says. He says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan like it's this, this, this river is like one of the tributaries of the Jordan River. Like for the only my staff, I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me 
the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do your good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Okay, we don't have time to get into this whole prayer, but man, this is actually like a great prayer. <laughs> There's like a lot here when you like, just like, what does it mean? What does it look like to, to come before God and to pray? This is actually a really amazing prayer. It's actually the longest prayer in Genesis that we have. This moment with Jacob before he goes back and meets his brother. And so he prays, and it's just like a really amazing prayer, right? Because he's basically saying, God, like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like obey you and follow you. You said to go back home. Uh, it seems like it's not going to go well for me, like this whole kind of, this trip back home, right? It doesn't seem like it's going to go very well for me, but you promised you would take care of me. And so based off of your promises to me, would you deliver me and save me? So he prays this amazing prayer. But the next day, this is still Jacob, right? So he's praying kind of maybe for the first time, right? He's got some spiritual thing that's happening in his life. But he's still the same Jacob who deceives and connives and plans and tries to manipulate everything. And so he, could, he puts this plan in place. This is what I'm going to do starting in verse 13. So we're not going to read the whole thing. But basically he's like, okay, here's, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take all these, uh, you know, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, uh, 30 milking camels, which by the way, camel milk? Gross. Can we just be honest about that? That's disgusting. It's good? Wait, who's ha- you've had camel milk? Are you serious? I imagine it to be like that one stuff that Luke Skywalker was drinking, like in that one. You guys know what I'm talking about? I imagine that's what it looked like. But okay, maybe it's good. Haven't had it before, but I'll, maybe I will try it at some point. Anyway, apparently uh, milking camels, very awesome, high-class milk. Okay, anyway. <laughs> They're calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. Basically just this massive amount of like in the old day, like just massive amount of wealth, right? Like status, prestige. I'm just going to hand this over to my brother basically as this gift, but I'm going to do it in this interesting way. I'm going to do it in waves. So he's like the first servant, you go with a good chunk of this stuff and you send him ahead and you you meet Esau and you say, hey, this is a gift from, uh, this is a gift from Jacob, your servant. Like he's trying to like bless you. And so he's he's also, he's behind me as well. And then the next servant's going to come, and he's going to bring kind of the next gift, and then the next gift. And basically, he's like planning this out, and he's like, maybe if I play this just right, if I kind of manipulate this whole circumstance, I can get my brother, perhaps, to accept me. So they passed on ahead of him, and he stayed the night in the camp. And then in verse 22, the same night, he arose, he took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. This is the Jabbok River. And he took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And then just read the first part of verse 24. It just says, and Jacob was left alone. It's like the author is trying to just like paint this picture. It's like, okay, he has just kind of sent everything across this river. He has nothing in his hands. He is totally alone. And it's like in this moment, like for the very first time, once again, Jacob has nothing but his thoughts, his past, his story. And you should just picture that for a moment, right? What this would be like. You have just split your entire life in half. You're pretty sure at least half of it is going to be destroyed. You're standing on the edge of this river. It's nighttime. It's dark. And you're just like processing like what is about to happen in my life. And not just like what is about to happen, but you're also looking at your whole life story and realizing like I have continually again and again had to face up to the consequences of the kind of life I'm living. Once again, my deceitful ways have brought me to a place where I'm scared for my life. And then look what happens in verse 24. 
It says, and Jacob was left alone. And it just says, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So he's alone. All of a sudden, this dude shows up. And they start wrestling. <laughs> like, that's the only thing it says. Like, there's a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, right, all night long, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen the God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, which is just like another way of, of saying Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So that's the story. And this is like, it's like literally from this moment where Jacob's name is changed to Israel and like the whole rest of the story of redemption kind of moves forward from this point. But I want to just like focus in on this nighttime wrestling match. Because it happens on just like for a couple like verses but it's like the whole chapter is like slowing down, right? Like, it, like most of the chapters of Genesis are telling like years of Jacob's life, but Je Genesis 32 is just telling a 24-hour period of Jacob's life. It's really slowing down so that it will focus you on this moment at night wrestling this unknown guy. And this scene is really meant to be like symbolic of Jacob's whole life. Because it's like this wrestle that he's been having with Esau, with his father, with his father-in-law Laban. You see, Jacob has been wrestling with the whole world. He has been fighting with everyone, <laughs> trying to win, trying to be first, trying to get the blessing. And it's like in this moment, God comes into the story and it's like you've been wrestling with the world, but really at the bottom of everything, Jacob, you have always been fighting with me. So here I am. You want to have it out? Fine. I'm here. Let's finish this. And so Jacob literally starts wrestling with God. And the, and the text is kind of unclear, like, is this like the angel of the Lord? I mean, is this like a pre-incarnation of Jesus? It's like, what, what, kind of what is going on? But whatever we know is that when Jacob finishes this wrestling match with this guy, he's like, uh, I've seen the Lord face to face and yet been spared. So for whoever this person is, this being he's wrestling with, Jacob is like, I'm going to count that as though I have wrestled with God himself. And I want to ask this question this morning. What are you wrestling with in your life? Like, what are you wrestling with? Or maybe who are you wrestling with? What is, like, the fight that's happening in your life right now? Because, I mean, all, all of us are walking in with something, right? Like, we're all walking in a little bit bruised. We're all walking in a little bit exhausted. Like, there is some fight that's going on in our life with a situation or a person. And in our lives, there's going to be many adversaries, many moments of tension or fear. There's going to be many things we will fight with, many things we will attempt to control or manipulate. But one of the things I think this story is trying to show us is that at the bottom of everything, the one that we are really wrestling with is God. 
And I feel like what this story is saying about Jacob is the same thing this story is trying to tell us about ourselves, is that this is actually the substance of your whole life. Once everything is stripped, stripped away, everything else crosses the river, and you are just left alone, there is one person that you are actually fighting with. It's not your coworkers. Your life is not your wrestle with a spouse. It's not even a wrestle with your past. You are not wrestling with the world. But strip all those things away at the bottom of everything. We're all wrestling with God. And for Jacob, there's this moment where like this thing that defines his life breaks into the physical world. And all of a sudden, there's this man who is wrestling with him all night long. And, and Jacob wrestles with this man like all night. <laughs> like, I mean, it just shows you like the stubbornness of this guy, right? Like, have you ever, like, who's ever like wrestled a man? Okay, there's like some people I have, like, know some wrestlers in here. It's exhausting, right? And so the like, idea of doing that all night just shows you like how utterly exhausted he would be. He wrestles this man all night. And eventually when this man sees that Jacob will not relent, like he will not give in, eventually when he sees that he will not prevail against him, he just takes his hand and he just touches the side of his hip socket and totally dislodges it. Puts it out of joint. And it's like a severe enough wound that it will follow him the rest of his life. He will always limp after this. And he touches his hip, right? Because his hip is like, it's like this hinge from which all your strength comes, right? Like, you know, if you're a wrestler, like, and you don't have hips, like, you're not going to do very well, right? It's like everything about using your body with, for strength or power, you need your hip. And so in this moment, it's like Jacob has dealt this death blow to any of his ability to fight or strive or win. It's like in this moment, the match is over. Jacob can't fight anymore. And the man tells Jacob to let him go. It's almost morning, you have to let me go. But Jacob doesn't let him go. And it just says that what Jacob does is he can't fight anymore, right? He can't strive. It just says that he just clings to him. He just holds on to him. And the man's trying to free himself, but Jacob won't let him go. He's in tremendous pain, he can't walk. And now all of a sudden, the idea of facing his brother in battle seems even more terrifying because now he can't even use his body to defend himself. And he just holds on to this man in the darkness and he just says, I won't let you go until you bless me. I won't let you go until you bless me. And here it is. These, these, are, these are the words that are kind of drug out of his soul that are the words that have shaped his entire life. And it's as though all of Jacob's story is summed up in this moment. His whole life has been marked by this desperate search. It's ruined so many of his relationships, so much of his life. And now in this moment, God basically whittles down his life, <laughs> whittles down his strength, so that there's literally only one thing he can do, only one thing he can cling to. And so he grabs hold of this man and just says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And the man asks him a question, and he just says, okay, you want me to bless you. What is your name? What is your name? And it's interesting, right? It's like, first of all, this is kind of amazing. Like, two people have been wrestling the entire night, never even got each other's first names, okay? I think that's funny, all right? Like, I think that's funny. Like, they're like, okay, we've been doing this for eight hours. By the way, I'm Jacob, right? It's like, I don't know. But this, this moment at the very end of this wrestling scene is actually replaying a scene from Jacob's life. 
it's like replaying a scene that's already happened. Because there was a moment earlier in Jacob's life when this search for blessing led him into the dim light of a tent in front of the dying eyes of his father. And this is when he's like, right, covered in kind of the, the skin of a goat, trying to pretend in every way he possibly can be to be his brother. And this was the question his father asked him. He said, who are you? What is your name? And you see, in this moment with his father, Jacob lies. He, he deceives. He, he says the name he thinks is the one who gets the blessing. And so he says, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I, I'm, I'm the son that you love. And so in this moment, right, Jacob steals Esau's blessing by pretending to be him before the blind eyes of his dying father. And he's lived his whole life this way, right? Deceit, manipulation, control, trying desperately to grab hold of the blessing of God. And once again, he stands before a man in the dim light of nighttime, asking for a blessing. And this question comes again, what is your name? And this time, Jacob tells the truth. He just says, Jacob, that's my name. And it it isn't just a response, but like when Jacob says his name, it is a confession because his name itself is a confession. Jacob, this name, it means deceiver. It, It means cheater. It means the one who grabs and takes. Like that's his name. It's what it means. And so Jacob isn't just being honest in this moment. Like this is who I am. He's saying like, no, no, this is who I am. This is the substance of my life. I am a swindler. I am a cheater. I spent my whole life fighting and wrestling with the world, trying to get ahead, and I have abused and I have cast aside people at will, trying desperately to just find blessing in my life. My name is Jacob. This is who I am. And it's in this moment, literally in the arms of this mysterious man, that Jacob owns up to the whole of his life story. And it's like finally after so long (laughs) of fighting, he's completely empty of any strength. I mean, he has no more cunning ideas. He has no more strategy. And he's finally empty of his deceit. He's not pretending anymore. He's literally just holding on to this man and confessing what's true about himself. And I'm I'm getting emotional just because I feel like Jacob with Jesus. And I want I want you to feel that way. And so I want you to just put yourself in that moment, right? Like you're you're exhausted from wrestling all night. Like I want you to just put yourself in that wrestling match. You're exhausted from wrestling all night. But you're also kind of exhausted from your whole life, right? You've been wrestling with the world. You've been wrestling with this stranger. But you realize in this moment it's God is the one you're actually clinging on to. You realize in this moment it's the blessing of God is the thing you've actually always been looking for. And as he holds you in his arms and you hold him in yours, he asks you your name. And I want you to just picture that. I want you to put yourself in that moment. And I want you to just hear God ask you your name, who you are. Not what name you go by, what is the substance of your life. How would you answer that question? And I want you to, I want you to just replay your life story, just play it all out. 
as God says, who are you? How do you answer that question? I don't know if you've ever done this thing that Jacob is doing in this moment before. I don't know if you've ever stood before God and clung to him and confessed who you really are. I, I don't know if you've ever confessed to yourself who you really are before. It's a really hard thing to do, to say your name and to know that your name defines so many broken things about you. But listen, this entire scene is so strange because we aren't really sure who this man is. Right? We don't really know. It doesn't really tell us. We just know it's a representation of Jacob to Jacob of God. And, and Jacob in this moment, he's, listen, he's wrestling with God. He's trying to get him to bless him. And he is after a very specific thing in this moment, right? His prayer tells you, like the amount of time he's wrestling with this man tells you, like he is after one thing. He is trying to get God to deliver him from Esau, his brother. This is the thing he's afraid of. This is the person he thinks he needs to be delivered from. But God has come into this story and God is wrestling for a very different reason. God doesn't come up. It doesn't show up. And doesn't literally, whatever's going on in this story, he does not show up to deliver Jacob from Esau. He shows up and he wrestles with Jacob so that he can deliver Jacob from himself. And he says, Jacob, we're not wrestling tonight, and we've not been wrestling your whole life because you're trying to get me to change your brother, or you're trying to get me to change your family or your circumstances. No, Jacob, we are wrestling because you refuse to let me change you. And that's why we're fighting. Because you won't let me win. You keep fighting. You keep fighting. We're wrestling because you won't let me change you. And I feel like in this story, the thing we're seeing is that the wrestle that you have with the world is not really a wrestle with the world. It's a wrestle with God. And the wrestle that you have with God is not about him changing your circumstances. It's not about him giving you what you think you want. It's not about him changing this person in your life that you think is your enemy. Actually, the wrestle that you have with the world is a wrestle with God. And the wrestle you have with God is a wrestle about you. And in this moment of confession, as Jacob basically just says, hey, I own up to all of it. I'm the problem. My name is Jacob. The whole dysfunction of my life it's on me. It's in this moment of confession that this man responds and he says, hey, your name's no longer going to be Jacob at Israel. For you've striven with God and with men and you have prevailed. It's like in this moment of confession, this is my name. This is who I really am. It's in that moment that this man says, that's not your name anymore. Your name's actually Israel. And the name Israel is fascinating. People cannot figure out exactly what it means. There's so many different things it could mean. But it basically just means one who struggles with God and prevails. 
So what kind of this man says, this is why you're being named Israel, because you've striven with God and man, and you have prevailed. But it's this name, it's like this ironic name, because how does he overcome with God? He overcomes by losing, finally. Like he overcomes through his own weakness and his own confession of who he is. He overcomes not by defeating God, not by being strong or strategic, but actually finally by being weakened enough that his only choice is to actually cling to him in desperation. That's how you prevail with God. And that's how you prevail in this world. It's not through strength. It's not through cunning. It's actually that in a situation with God, he would actually so wound and humble you that you would finally be willing to say, okay, God, I have got nothing left but to cling to you. And he says, that's actually winning. That's actually when you prevail in this world and with God himself is when you finally lose the battle you've been fighting with him your whole life. And this is why I'm so amazed by this is like God kept fighting with Jacob his whole life. Like we just need to stop and understand that. Like this is like whatever's happening in this story, like whether God like sends Jesus pre-incarnate or whether God like sends an angel, like we're not going to get into all that. Who knows what's going on? But whether, whatever's happening there, right? Like God himself is like, I am willing to get dirty in the dirt with you and fight with you just to force you to receive the blessing I'm trying to give you. Like you have to really love someone to fight with them that much to give them something good. Because this dude, for time and time again, he's so stubborn. Like God's fingerprints are all over this man's life. God's given him so much, and again and again and again, he chooses to go this opposite path. And you would just think, surely at some point, God would just say, I'm going to choose a different guy. I'm going to choose a different family. I'm going to choose someone else that my blessing is going to run through. No. God doesn't do that. He says, Jake was my guy. And yeah, his life is a train wreck. And I've been trying to get this guy to change his life for so long, and he won't do it. So finally, I am going to come in the story, and I am going to physically wrestle him into submission. And I'm going to actually have to wound this person that I love in order to save him. Some theologians, they call this the severe mercy of God. The severe mercy of God. It's like it's a mercy that is not just held out as an option. It is a mercy and a grace that is so powerful that it will even overwhelm those who do not want anything to do with it. And even people who are like, I am going to wrestle with you until daybreak. (laughs) Jesus is like, that's fine. Maybe I will have to wound you, but I will win because I love you. He'll wound you in order to save you. And for some of you in the room, this is what I think is probably true of your life because I know it's been true of mine. You feel as though it is God's anger and apathy towards you that has led you to the place you're in. And you might be in a place where you're like, dude, my life's really hard. I don't feel like my life's one of blessing. I feel like it's one of curse. And you might be like, it is probably God's anger towards me or his apathy that has led me to this place. But you need to understand that those God loves, he is willing to wound in order to save. And God has the kind of love for his children that he is even willing to take everything away from you in order to take everything out of your hands so that he can give you the one thing you actually need more than anything, and that is a relationship with him. And this is the kind of love that God has for his children. But listen, this is also the kind of love 
that marks those who are his. Because Jacob's life, it looks different after this point. Like he's still really messed up. I mean, like, unfortunately, you read the next chapter of the story and you're like, Jacob, what are you doing, man? Like, you've had this moment. Like, he's still a really broken, sinful man. But there's something that changes in his life. There's this transformation that happened where he's never quite the same after this moment. Because this now is a man who walks with a limp. And this is like the mark of the, the picture of the blessed one, right? Like it, it wasn't the man who walked across the river with all of his family and his possession and wealth. Like that wasn't actually the picture of the one who was blessed by God. No, it was the one who walked across the river that morning. Alone, bloody, bruised, torn clothing, like dragging his leg. That was actually the man who carried with him the mark of the blessing of God. This was the one who was marked by this kind of severe mercy of God. This was the man who God loved so much he was unwilling to let him stay as he was. And he's like, even if God had to come down to earth himself and physically dominate this dude, he was going to because he cared about him that much and that was how deep his commitment was to Jacob. And I just want us to understand this. It isn't those who are strong It isn't those who are proud who carry the mark of the blessing of God, but it is actually those who are bruised and bloodied, those who limp. It's actually those who've been defeated and finally surrendered themselves into the hand of God. Those are actually the ones who are truly blessed. The mark of someone who's actually been with God is that they limp. This is true of every person that God uses in powerful ways. You should not look at the powerful and you should not look at the proud and envy them. You shouldn't do that. Instead, you should look at this man who walks, hunkered over, dragging his leg, and that is the posture you should envy because that is the mark of someone who has been so loved by God that they've been broken by God in order to be saved. It isn't strength and power and strategy that mark those who've been with God. It's actually humility, it is dependence, and it's weakness. You know, at Doxa, we have these core values and One of them is literally just that, is weakness. It's a really strange thing to value as a church, especially when your pastor's arms are the size of tree trunks, right? Like, it's weird. You're like, weakness? What are you talking about, right? But we mean that. Like, we mean that. Like, it's like one of the things we value in our own lives is we actually want to be people who are weak. We want to lead and walk with Jesus with a limp. We actually don't want to be strong. We don't want that. We don't want to be self-reliant. We don't want to think we have it all together. We don't want to be people who believe that we can forge our own destiny and create a future for ourselves. We want to be the kind of men and women who've had our self-sufficiency defeated by the gracious love of Jesus. We want to be the kind of people who've actually come to the end of ourselves and even been wounded and had all our strength taken away so that we can finally, with nothing else in our hands, cling to God. That's who we want to be. And some of you with, who are here this morning, I mean, you're, you're, you're here and like your problem with God is not your weakness. Your problem with God is actually your strength. It's like the biggest problem you have in your life. You're simply still too strong and too self-reliant to actually experience the blessing of God in your life. And it's this self-reliant spirit 
this, this thing in you that says, well, I want the blessing of God, but I want to earn it. I want to take it. I want to control. I, I want to take hold of that myself. I don't want to just be given that. It's that self-reliant spirit. You're trying to get the blessing of God, but actually that thing in you is the very thing that's keeping you from actually experiencing God's blessings as he would give it to you. And so what would it look like for you in the room who feels strong this morning? What would it look like for you to stop striving with God and instead start clinging to him? What would be different about the posture of your life? And this is what's so amazing. And this will end here, but this is what's just so amazing to me, this part of the story. Jacob's whole life has been a wrestle with the world, with his family. I mean, with God, his whole life he's been fighting to get the very thing God had already promised to give him before he was even born. Like, isn't that, isn't that, that was wild to me. Like, he's literally wrapped up with God, wrestling with him, pleading with him, why won't you bless me? Just bless me, just bless me. And God's like, Jacob, that's been my plan your entire life. But before you were born, I declared that you would be the one I blessed. You're not fighting me for a blessing. I'm fighting you to bless you. Will you let me? Will you let me? And as soon as he stops fighting, and as soon as he collapses into the arms of God, confesses his sin, and clings to him, it's in this place that he finds the thing he was looking for all along. The kindness and the blessing and the love of God. And it's here that he receives a new name. And for you who are in the room, you are also wrestling with someone. And his name is Jesus Christ. And some of you in the room, you, 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 haven't, you haven't given up yet. You're still fighting with him. Like he's trying to humble you. He's trying to bring you to a place of complete dependence on him. And your pride and your self-sufficiency is the very thing that's keeping you from experiencing the blessing of God. And Jesus Christ is saying, hey, don't do that. Like, just cling to me. Confess who you are, and I will actually give you a new name. I will give you a new story. I will bless you because that's what I've always intended to do. Let me pray for us. And we're going to take communion together. Jesus, we're, we're here this morning and God, so much of our lives are marked by striving and fighting and God, honestly, so much of the exhaustion that we feel in our lives is, it really is exactly why Jacob is so tired is because he's trying so hard to earn the very thing you've already given us. And so Jesus, I pray that, God, that we would be the kind of people that are actually stripped of every strength and we would just be totally alone and we would be the kind of people that have no more strength to fight but would just cling to you. And God, I just pray right now for someone in the room that maybe for the very first time in their life they would just receive that kind of severe mercy Maybe for the very first time in their life, they would confess their real name, who they are. And they would find that that's not the very thing that keeps them from you, but it's the very thing that actually allows them to receive a new name. 
we're going to take communion together. And I want to just give each of us time to do this on our own. We're, we're just going to have like a couple minutes of just as the band plays. I just want to, I don't want to move too quickly past this moment. I want to just give you time to cling to Jesus. Right, Jacob, he just grabbed hold of the body of this man and said, I have nothing left, but would you bless me? And I think, honestly, when we take communion, we're doing the very same thing. It's like, we have nowhere else to turn for blessing or salvation except the body of this man, Jesus Christ. And he was crucified on our behalf. He was murdered on a cross and he rose again so that his body itself could be life for us. And so I want to just like give us a couple minutes to just like maybe in the darkness of that scene, just cling to Jesus Christ, confess who you are and let him bless you. Let him give you the thing you've been looking for in the world that you can't find. Let him just give that to you based off of what he has done on your behalf on the cross. And when you have a minute, when it feels right, you can take communion. The bread just symbolizes the body of Christ that was broken for us. And the juice symbolizes his blood that was poured out on our behalf. And as if you're, if you're in the room for the very first time and you're like, I've actually never surrendered my life to God. I've been fighting with him my whole life. I'm telling you, right now, you can actually lose that battle and you can prevail. Right now, I'm telling you, you can just give your life to God and you can say, God, I, I'm done fighting. I just want to receive from you. I just cling to you. I have nothing left. The way we do that is we take communion. <laughs> we just say, Jesus, I've got nothing. I need you to save me. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you stop fighting with him, I'm telling you this morning, you will have a new name. You will have a new story. You will have a blessing over your life that you cannot even screw up because of your sin. So let's take communion together and then let's worship.